Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace, and they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie's helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. My latest project, tree trimming for our phone lines into the radio show. I mean, any home improvement you need, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and the website is free to use. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, it's happy hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm holding out for a hero. Uh Uh-huh. And I just, I got two. Yes, you do. I snagged two for happy hour. Representative Jake Auchincloss. I said it right. I know. You didn't even have to have them right. right And of the great... Commonwealth of Massachusetts. There you go. Nailed it. (laughs) He is not just a uh, Afghanistan vet, but of Ukrainian um, uh, heritage. Refugees. Yeah, his parents were re- uh, Ukrainian refugees. He had a lot of great stuff to say about about Ukraine and uh, what we should be doing. And and then Glenn Kirshner. <sighs> it's your safe space. Sorry. Yeah. Just another hero I always hold out for. But just drawing a straight He's... line between criming, letting people get away with criming in general, whether it's yep. Putin. I'm just telling you, I will do the fucking negotiating. I don't, you get nothing, sir. And also we want Crimea and what is it up? Check me, what, Georgia? What else? Give me a list. I have hostage demands. And then get the fuck out of my house. Underpack. Get out, bull in China shop. Out of my house. What's wrong with you? Except that we could play the whole one because it's the happy hour. Get fuck out. That's oh, well, why we like it. I fuck. Get fuck out. You get fuck out. Ukraine, A, that's A, and then B, good day, sir, you get nothing. That's correct. You fucking... You get nothing! Fuck you! You lose! Good day, sir! You fucking war criminal. Can we, uh, can we adjust that? Uh, no. To add you fucking war criminal? No. Okay. <laughs> but this is what happens when you get away with criming. Okay, not only does... You don't get to keep your ill-gotten gains. I want it all back. Somebody, right... Over the balcony. That's all I'm saying. I never know what movie I'm talking about, but you know what I mean. You're thinking of Blanket Jackson. Yeah. When no, that wasn't. I'm talking about any of the movies where they hold someone over a balcony to get whatever money, oh, some money, mobby, information. Some mobby like, movie. like the Departed yes. or Godfather. Or Michael Jackson just did that in a loving Sopranos. dad sort of way. No, he did not. That's not a loving dad sort of thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be doing it in a loving way to Vladimir Putin either. Be doing it to get fucking Georgia back. Okay, listen, here's and my Ukraine. point. Hmm? Yes. Crimea. Yeah. We need that back. Representative uh, Jake Ockenglis, also the youngest dad in Congress. Yeah, he's he had is. a lot of great stuff to submit about a lot of great yep. stuff. And then the uh, justice is not just coming, it's, you know, oh, it's here. It's, it's, multi- it's giving me multiples when Glenn Kirshner is here. You'll justice see. is nestling in your bosom. Mm, you'll see. Oh, nipple circling. Okay, drink up. Happy, happy hour.
Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform, one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. NetSuite.com slash Miller. NetSuite.com slash Miller. One more time, NetSuite.com slash Miller. which he is the youngest uh, congressional dad. I don't know if you know that. Also an uh, Afghanistan vet and a descendant of Ukrainian refugees. Who better to talk to than the representative of the great Commonwealth of Massachusetts this morning, Jake Auchincloss. Good morning, Representative. Good morning. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you so much for being uh, for being on. We've, we always love having you, but it, particularly today, I, I mean, I just don't know a human that wasn't incredibly moved by President Zelensky's speech and the, obviously the video what was your reaction in the room there? It was a battle cry from the front lines of the free world, and it was a moment that will stay with me the rest of my political career, truly formative. And <clears throat> in some ways marks a departure and maybe even a transition point from my other searing memory in my first year in Congress, which was the January 6th insurrection. If January 6th represented the low point of democracy and American leadership in my lifetime, uh, this moment could be how we find our our center again as a country. Yeah. It was a an address that emphasized the moral clarity and the moral urgency of the moment. And his closing in English in particular, where he asked for America to be the leader of the free world, to be the leader of peace, was so resonant with my colleagues. Yeah, well, particularly with the, um, let's just say, the last occupant of the Oval Office uh, before President Biden. You, you know, as a, a... Isn't it remarkable? <laughs> I just, I, I think, I think it, it, bears, it bears reflection about what it would have been like these last three months where Donald Trump still in the White House. I mean, this is a guy who wanted to leave NATO, who tried to blackmail the Ukrainian president in an arms-for-dirt deal. Can you even conceive of his behavior over these last three months facing the most tense oh. geopolitical situation since World War II? I, I and, just and the Congress people nauseating. sitting beside you that did not vote to hold him accountable for withholding this Ukrainian aid, this aid and extorting this president, Zelensky. The fact that they, they feel like they, they have the right to say anything at this point or, or criticize President Biden for what he's doing. We've got he, Kevin McCarthy, who is traveling between Mar-a-Lago and Washington, D.C., saying one thing privately in Mar-a-Lago, probably talking up President Putin's quote-unquote genius to Donald Trump, and then coming to Washington and having the nerve to criticize President Biden's response. I mean, it, it just really reinforces how critical these midterm elections are to keep the gavel out of Leader McCarthy's hands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Representative, particularly, you know, as a vet, I wanted to get your take and went to your Twitter right away. And you said the same thing many experts have been saying. You said a no-fly zone is an act of war. 
that is an unnecessary escalation. What we can do is work with our NATO allies to supply Ukraine with more planes, more drones, more surface-to-air missiles. You did a whole uh, really valuable, I thought, 10-point thread. Um, obviously, the president, this is unprecedented, the amount of aid he um uh, you know, uh, obviously announced yesterday, you also said we should get airplanes, anti-tank, anti-air missiles, drones, and other counter-drone equipment to Ukraine through every format possible, including backfilling supplies from Poland, Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, any other country that's willing to provide these MiGs to Ukraine. That seems to me the alternative that Zelensky offered that makes sense. It makes sense to me why a no-fly zone is just not tenable, but that giving airplanes is, which you seem to be for. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, you framed that very well. The overarching theme of the 10 points I put out was we've got to dial the pressure up but turn the temperature down. And we dial the pressure up by continuing to provide lethal and non-lethal aid to Ukrainian forces and by helping them close the skies. A no-fly zone is one method of closing the skies to prevent Russian air assault. But it, as you said, is an act of war against Russia and one that is unnecessarily uh, escalatory at this point. But we can provide air defense systems and we can provide training and electronic warfare capabilities that augment those air defense systems such that the Ukrainian ground troops, which are more than holding their own, really have a fair fight on their hands against Russian tank and infantry. But we've also got to be cognizant that we've got to turn the the temperature down because we cannot tolerate a a wider and, and even a nuclear Um, escalation here. And that means consulting through Article 4 with our NATO allies to guarantee them of their territorial integrity, but also clarifying what Article 5 violations would look like. One Russian soldier having bad aim and inadvertently landing around into a NATO territory, does that cause an Article 5 response? We need to clarify that so that we're not led into inadvertent escalation. Mm-hmm. Can, Representative, can you, as way more of an expert than me, can you explain the planes? Can you explain this situation? I think a lot of Americans understand now the no-fly zone and, and, first of all, how huge Ukraine is and that that would involve actual combat with Russian aircraft and or even, I mean, a lot of these missiles are coming from the ground in Russia, Correct. And I, right. I don't know, how, A, how do we defend about that? And, and tell us where you stand on giving them planes in one way or another. The planes have sucked up a lot of oxygen, and I think what you're alluding to is, is accurate in that it's probably disproportionate to how useful they actually are. So first, just like the, the kind of the, the basics here, the reason these planes got to the forefront of the conversation is that they're MiGs and they are Soviet-era technology that Ukrainian pilots have some familiarity with. So it seemed to make all the sense in the world. Let's get these planes over to Ukraine and let Ukrainian fighter pilots close their own skies. And if that is accurate, if if it's true that the Ukrainian pilots know how to fly these, and if it's true that um, using MiGs will help them close the skies, absolutely we should do it. I've been very clear about that for weeks. We can land the planes in Germany. We can have Ukrainian pilots fly them in from Germany into Ukraine to avoid any direct American to Russian conflict. Uh, We should do it. It is still unclear to me, though, and we've been pushing on this for a week or two now, Mm -hmm. it is still unclear whether these planes are actually truly what the Ukrainians need, or whether what they really need are drone, counter-drone, S-300, stingers, um, and electronic warfare capabilities to both go after um, Russian air assault, but even more importantly, as you said, Russian ground assault. The way that the Russian advances work is 
not been very reliant, actually, on air superiority because they don't have it. It's been reliant on tank and artillery, artillery bombardments of civilian areas. That's where American electronic warfare capabilities can be so effective. Mm-hmm. We have got to disable their command and control and logistics nodes so that their ground advances are frustrated uh, even more so than, than their air assault. I mean, what do you make of, I've heard some critics say, like, oh, how dare we try to tell Zelensky what he needs? He's, you know, it's patronizing to tell him, oh, you don't need that, you need this. But, you know, and you could understand in his position, him asking for everything, you know, they're in a desperate, desperate situation. You understand his saying, you know, you know, every child that dies is because we're, you're trying to figure out logistics about planes or whatever. So what, I mean, what, what is your response to that? We're giving him what he's asking for. That's, that's right. the thing. I mean, and he said in his address to Congress yesterday, uh, there's a whole list of weapons that we can use to close the skies. And the president, hours later, announced another $800 yeah. million dollars worth of those supplies, again, ranging from the Stingers and the drone and counter-drone technology all the way up to the S-300s, the long-range uh, surface-to-air. So we're not we're not kind of wagging our finger at President Zelensky and dictating right. tools that he needs. What he's asking for, we're giving him. It is, um, and, and if that includes, if, if it really is the case that the Ukrainian fighter pilots can use these fighter jets and can use them effectively to disable Russian um, Russian MiGs, absolutely we should be getting them yeah. to them. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I think that's what we're trying to figure out, right, is logistics of, of how to do that. Um, your number 10 in your thread of what to do in Ukraine is why you will probably be president and I will remain here in my basement. <laughs> you <laughs> you said present an off-ramp for President Putin by indicating that NATO will still engage in security talks with him and be on the ground progress toward a sovereign, secure, and democratic Ukraine will lead to a calibrated sanctions relief. Um I get that. While I get that, Representative, there's part of me that just wants to say, F you, you war criminal. <laughs> like, you get nothing. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, I think Chairman Schiff said something sort of to the opposite. Like, this needs to be a total humiliation for Putin, so he or no- nobody else ever does this again. What do you make of that? I mean, I get, the, I get both arguments. I understand the impulse, and I, and I psychologically I share it, and yet... Uh, President Biden needs to be a statesman, and that means rising above uh, your emotional impulses. And the, the famous Roman general Tacitus said that the best way to defeat your enemy is to box them in on three sides and leave the fourth open so that you avoid the worst of the battle. And we've boxed him in on three sides now, diplomatically, militarily, and economically. Uh, but if this is truly going to resolve peacefully and quickly, uh, we need to understand President Putin's off-ramp, because here's my concern, and we saw this in Aleppo, and we saw this obviously in Chechnya. Uh, If he's boxed in on four sides, his response is going to be to terrorize civilian areas to a degree that even exceeds what we've seen so far. It'll be thermobaric weapons. It could even be chemical or biological weapons. uh, And it's going to be a humanitarian catastrophe on a scale even beyond these last three weeks. Yeah. Uh, So... That means understanding the press release that President Putin needs to be able to deliver to, to his Kremlin national security elite. What does that look like? It probably looks like the small Donbass and Crimea as some type of ethnic Russian enclave or, or separate suzerain entity and a sovereign, secure, and democratic Ukraine that has a potentially non-aligned 
military, but a strong commitment from the West for its sovereignty, its security, and its democracy. Yeah. Um, we were a Marine, so I can see your instincts, because you tweeted, we used to have a saying in the Marine Corps, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> you said it's time to deliver that punch to Vladimir Putin by issuing en- energy sanctions, cutting off the oil, Absolutely. which we've done. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is amazing what, <laughs> what Putin has done to the uh, Russian economy in the space of, I don't know how long, right? Less than a month? I want to highlight two aspects of that. So the first is we've done a we've done an a, a American embargo of oil, but we have not done coordinated global embargo of oil. And those are two separate things and the the latter is much more powerful than the former. In particular, we we really need to get the Chinese on board with these sanctions. The Chinese have you know signed a contract close to 20 billion dollars for oil and continue to be a source of hard currency for the Kremlin with with oil. Uh, for these for these oil sanctions to truly, truly deprive the Kremlin of hard currency and a budget surplus, we've got to make these more coordinated, more comprehensive globally. So that's got to be an important yep. next step. And and the second is the central bank. And I want to here just give a, a shout out to the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury and the, and the Secretary of the Treasury, um, Janet Yellen and, and uh, Wally Adeyomo. Their architecting of the central bank sanctions against Russia maybe even more so than the oil, were the punch in the face that Vladimir Putin was not expecting. Those yeah. have cratered the ruble and really led to panic, frankly, in the, in the, the Russian economy. Well, who was it, John McCain, that said they're basically a gas station with nukes? <laughs> so <right. laughs> right. We shut down That's the right. gas station. Right, yeah. Um, so And the ATMs don't work. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Representative, as a uh, descendant of Ukrainian refugees, I know you've always been outspoken. You tweeted about we should be welcoming refugees to America, authoring uh, work authorization permits. You know, I was saying I have a friend who's a, uh, Ukrainian, and her parents just just escaped from Ukraine and came over here. And, you know, I offered, I said, look, I have two extra bedrooms. She has a cousin that's still stuck in Kiev. And, you know, right-wingers frequently call radio shows like mine during things like this to say, oh, how many Ukrainian refugees are you taking in? And I'm like, I've offered to take in several. How about you? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, the, you know, you speak to the best of what America is. You are the descendant of Ukrainian refugees. You're a war vet. You fought for your country. This is what... America has always stood for, right? We believe as a country that the circumstances of your birth should not determine the condition of your life. And that is no better manifested than in how we welcome refugees. And it's not just who we are as a country and our character. It's not just what my home state of Massachusetts is as as a commonwealth founded by refugees. Um, It's also, by the way, really good for our economy. I mean, what's our biggest problem right now is businesses can't hire people. The Ukrainian workforce is tremendously talented, and we've got six Americans looking for every 10 open jobs right now. We should be jumping up and down trying to bring these refugees into the country and give them work authorization permits. Yep. And by the way, can I just say on another subject quickly, you tweeted the omnibus should be a slam dunk for Democrats. We should not be stripping 15 billions in COVID funding from the budget. You said these funds would be could be used to prepare for and prevent future variants exactly what we're going through right now, according to the World Health Organization. Dr. Redliner, who we just had on, just talked about this, this thing you said that we should not be stripping funding. This is exactly what they're warning about, that cases are spiking. We shouldn't be lifting restrictions. We sh- you know, we are in the, the midst of a new variant and subvariant. I, I have rarely been as frustrated as I was last week when that $15 billion got taken out. And just for our listeners' awareness, what that $15 billion was, was $10 billion dollars for domestic, basically, R&D to prepare for future variants. 
and to stockpile critical supplies, and then $5 billion in advanced market commitments for the COVAX facility, which basically means that we will be helping to vaccinate countries overseas that have been having a hard time doing that. It would be hard to envision a better return on investment right now, if you think about an ounce of prevention, yeah. one pound of pain, uh, than $15 billion to, to prepare for and prevent the next variant and surge. Yeah. I can tell you that right now, the National Institutes of Health are not doing high-priority research on COVID because of this lack of funding. It's unconscionable. Yeah, let's, let's get this fixed. And as the youngest dad in Congress, how old are your kids? Teddy is two and Grace is six months. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're both pandemic babies, uh, but I'm hoping they don't even remember it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, they they're, should be very proud of their daddy. Um, it's always a pleasure to, and, you know, to get your expertise on all these subjects, particularly this morning, Representative. Thanks so much. Have a great morning. All right. Your time. You too. OMG, I am so excited about our new sponsor, Cook Unity. These are ready-cooked meals. You want to know my first six? Grilled mahi-mahi with oyster mushrooms and steamed rice. <gasps> Vegan rigatoni pesto. Four-cheese ravioli with cherry tomatoes and spinach. Hang on. Climate-friendly chickpea and quinoa bowl. Classic salad nichois. Lemon-baked tilapia. I don't have time to cook. These, you just pop them in the microwave. Bam, you're done. Go to cookunity.com liberal. You will not believe the quality and the, the, the quantity of different uh, choices that you have. Whatever you need. Vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free. Whatever you love, they have a delicious dish. Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it's cheaper than other delivery options. So delicious and no cooking required. I love that on work nights for me. Go to cookunity.com liberal or enter the code liberal before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code liberal or going to cookunity.com liberal. Oh, hi, Glenn. Good morning, staff. You know, you talk to us every week about why justice matters. This is why I'm wearing my I Will Die Mad Hillary 2016 t-shirt. Because, I, you know, I keep saying if America had re- reacted when Putin attacked this country, this sovereign country, and installed a Putin puppet, as they did in Ukraine previously and are trying to do again, right? We, it, this is what prevents more crime from happening, right? I just... It, I don't. I know there's a lot going on in the world, and you know, and justice here. But doesn't it all connect to you that if if you're not punished for one crime, and then all of these Congress people who think they can s- literally with a straight face criticize Joe Biden for withholding aid to Ukraine when every single one of them except Mitt Romney voted to let Donald Trump get away with it, right? To withholding. Steph, aid. you're you're exactly right. I mean, you know, Donald Trump going back to 2016 expressly invited a foreign adversary to hack U.S. computer systems to get political dirt or information on his opponent so he could corruptly steal the 2016 election. And where we are today, what Russia is doing, the war crimes, the atrocities they're committing, you know, in this unlawful war of aggression they're waging, when you have political leaders like Putin and Trump who commit crimes, including crimes against their own people that go unaddressed, this is exactly where it leads. This is the end game. Putin feels unconstrained so he can go into an independent, democratic, 
country and try to take it over unlawfully, criminally. Donald Trump has done many of the same things. And as long as we refuse to address these crimes by Putin, by Trump, this is where we will end up. Russia's there now. We are headed that way if we don't tackle this thing and take it to the ground. Glenn, you've been in... Well, you're always in my head. That's the whole thing. But, my, <laughs> but I mean, I, it literally does echo in my head when I look at this whole thing about why justice matters and why you look at... I, I was talking about it's driving me crazy that Putin demands this and that. I'm like, no, you don't... The, the war criminal doesn't get to demand. You know, I think, you know, if we... Hopefully this goes the way we hope with the entire world united against him. I, I said, like, what the fact that he got away with Chechnya and Crimea and Donbass, it's like, no, you should have to give back your last ill-gotten gains as well. Like, that's how, it, but you're absolutely right. The reason this is continuing is because he keeps getting away with it. And he thought Donald Trump would get him out of NATO entirely and, you know, get the U.S. out of NATO entirely and that he would just. So this is what you, what, you know, what you mean when you say it's not like, for instance, the 10 uh, obstruction of justice counts. That's why it's important, because this will yeah. keep happening again if we don't punish the people that, it, that were engaged in it here. Correct? You're not just allowing it. You're encouraging it by not holding people accountable. You're giving them license to do it all over again and then some. And this is where we find ourselves. And you know what? Justice does matter. It matters to me. It matters to y'all. It matters to millions and millions of Americans. And I don't understand why our institutions of government can't get that. And they let criminal politicians run wild. Right. I, I don't, for the life of me, understand why that is. And you said, a, you know, a good phrase that we all know on Twitter, but you just said, when will the DOJ decide when we've reached an arrest tipping point? Like, what is the tipping point exactly with Donald Trump? And I, I get it. There's stuff going on behind the scenes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it, it, it's impossible ahead. for us to answer that question because we look in our rearview mirror and the tipping point is a couple of thousand miles behind us. So we can't intelligently answer the question, what's the tipping point for the DOJ? But something that unfolded this week, Steph, yeah. I hope gives us a little insight, a little behind the door peek at what DOJ is planning, because when they filed this 20-page brief in the Enrique Tarrio case, the former leader of the Proud Boys who is yeah. now jailed pending trial, um, it, it became pretty clear that DOJ is now citing Donald Trump's December 19th tweet, come to D.C. will be wild, as a tipping point. Why do I say that? They put it right at the beginning of the Tario detention memo that they filed, yeah. saying on December 19th, someone said, they didn't even name Trump, um, quote, come to DC, will be wild. We all know what that meant. Why they left Donald Trump's name out, I think is, is both childish and foolish. Um, so, and the next day, the Proud Boys mobilized. So we now have, in my opinion, Steph, a conspiracy in three acts. We have to go back to September 29th when Trump and Biden stood on a debate stage. And that's when Donald Trump recruited the Proud Boys. He said, stand back and stand by. Mm -hmm. On December 19th, he activated the Proud Boys. Come to DC on January 6th, will be wild. On January 6th, he deployed the yep. Proud Boys. 
go to the Capitol, stop what's going on. And if you don't fight like hell, you won't have a country anymore. Steph, that's a conspiracy indictment that writes itself. What are we waiting for? Well, yeah, and I love how you and uh, uh, A.G. from Mueller, she wrote tag team. She said, you know, the the uh, she said there's an Easter egg in the Terrio filing. They're connecting the attack on the Capitol to Donald. And you said, I agree with Allison. The prosecutors are linking Trump's announcement of his wild D.C. event that he scheduled for January 6th to the inception of the Proud Boys operation, a sign of things to come. The insurrection slash attack on the Capitol was a Trump production start to finish. Um yeah, I mean that 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 does give me some hope when when I think like okay, that seems pretty clear. Again, I don't know what you think about a time frame. Then you know you're like already we're to the top of we're this far. Yeah, I, I mean I can only hope now. You know we keep hoping that there's some event in the future, some evidentiary development, something with the J six committee that causes DOJ to move out. I was hoping that one of the things that might accelerate DOJ in actually indicting these political criminals was when Donald Trump stood up at his most recent hate rally and put our nation's teachers at risk by saying, you need to lay down your lives to fight critical race theory being taught in our schools. Steph, that is so close to what he said on January 6th. You need to go to the Capitol and fight like hell and stop the steal or you won't have a country anymore. He just said it again. You have to lay down your lives to fight critical race theory being taught in our schools or you won't have a country anymore. Look what happened last time. How long before teachers are, are under attack by Trump's angry base because of the fictitious CRT thing? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, like I say, Glenn, I think it's hard not to connect this whole thing to what's happening, that we are literally fighting for our democracy. This was a an attempted overthrow of our d- democracy on January 6th. So it's, it's, and it just, you cut right to Donald Trump calling Putin genius and Joe Biden calling him a war criminal. Yeah. That, that's yeah. the spot we find ourselves in, in the world, right? And, you know, as a daughter of a Nuremberg prosecutor, I know where I stand and where most of the world stands, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's the, I, I can't even, my jaw still drops. When I hear people like Marjorie Taylor Greene arguing why they're voting, you know, against aid for Ukraine and calling them NATO Nazis, which is, I'm like, do you not get why NATO was formed? Like, it just, I, I don't, I, I'm wondering where you, as a prosecutor, like where you find yourself when you watch all this in terms of, you know, the tipping point, as you, a phrase that you used, that the world is at really right now. You know, as a former career prosecutor, you know, when I had enough evidence to bring a charge, you know what I did? I brought a charge, you know, win, lose or draw. I brought a charge once I had sufficient evidence to indict because that was the oath I took. That was my responsibility to the victims. And as federal prosecutors, we represent the people of the United States, not just the people of a city, a county or a state. And I had a responsibility to do that. I, and I don't quite understand how it is DOJ doesn't feel the sense of urgency that hundreds of millions of Americans feel right now. And we'll keep we'll keep hounding, we'll keep pressuring. Yeah. And you know, it's counterintuitive to me to pressure prosecutors. I was a prosecutor for 30 years. I'm like, don't pressure me. I will do it when I have the evidence. But if I have the evidence and I decline to do it, then you're darn right. I need to be pressured to do my job. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk about uh, Monday starting the Supreme Court uh, hearings. I Again, you can almost predict who's going to be despicable. And, of course, Josh Hawley's at the top of the list, right? Uh, he's questioning whether uh, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, uh, whether she was tough enough on uh, um, sex offender sentencing. They're already signaling they're going to make her time as a public defender and on the, the sentencing, sentencing commission a key factor in her, their line of questioning. Um, one expert said the overwhelming majority of Jackson's cases involving child sex crimes, the sentences Judge Jackson imposed were consistent with or above the government or U.S. Uh, probation recommended. Um, and I just quickly love what Jen Psaki said about Josh Hawley on this. On your point about uh, Senator Hawley, obviously he's consistently voted against the president's nominees. Don't think he was a swing vote you guys were counting on. However, will his criticism, will the uh, explosiveness of this line of attack, do you worry that it will affect your ability to win over other Republican votes? Is there any concern about this campaign upping the pressure on, say, Senators Collins and Murkowski, who may be more amenable to voting? Well, I'm not sure that someone who refused to tell people whether or not he would vote for Roy Moore is an effective and credible messenger on this. <laughs> oh, I love my sake bombs. Yeah. But yeah, right. They just they have no moral center <laughs> for people that didn't have an opinion on Judge Moore. Right. And does it qualify as irony that somebody like a Josh Hawley would say, you know, Judge uh, Katanji Brown Jackson went too easy on some sex offenders um, and yet these are the same people who supported Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I feel an inconsistency there. Yeah, and said not a word about Matt right. Gates. I mean, in terms of, I, okay. Um, by the way, and also Josh Hawley, I mean, it's just they are shameless. He literally just came out and said, we're not doing enough for Ukraine or Biden's being timid. He just voted against it. He just yeah. voted. I mean, I, where is this? Yes. Um, Jen Psaki said uh, Tom Cotton had a chance last week to back his words with actions by voting for the security assistance for Ukraine that the president announced yesterday. He and 30 of his fellow Senate Republicans voted against that money. Those 31 Republican senators voted against 13.6 billion for Ukraine, 800 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, 9,000 anti-tank weapons, 7,000 small arms, 20 million rounds of ammunition. Our assistance is making a difference on the ground and the president is delivering more. I mean, they just have no shame anymore. They can consistency. Just, yeah. uh, consistency is not the Republican strong suit, you know, and I and I and I think the most glaring example of that, not to go back to the Supreme Court, is when Mitch McConnell said, no, we can't confirm Merrick Garland because with, we're, we're within a year of a presidential election. But the but the election is tomorrow. So we're going to cram Amy Coney Barrett down the throats of the American people. Yeah. I mean, or, or whether it's infrastructure, right? They vote against infrastructure. Then they run to their home district and hold up the shovels and say, look at what I've done for you. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't seem to care because we're living in an age where truth isn't truth to half of the American population. So that's why they get away with it. Yeah. Well, we're watching it on a grand scale with a. Russia using Americans in their propaganda going, we're not bombing Ukraine and oh, Ukraine has Nazis. <laughs> it's just it's uh, it's astounding. I never thought I'd live to see the day, Glenn, when Americans uh, sitting Congress people are being used in propaganda in Russia and they continue to do it. Right. They're being used happily, willingly. I have to believe that many of them, it is their zeal for Russian dollars to come through whatever organization they're coming through. Yeah. Remember the NRA scandal. And they're happy to receive those dirty rubles to keep them in power. 
which, you know, I, I, the question I ask myself and I ask my friends often is, does politics attract people like that or does politics create people like that? Or is it some combination? Because how we can have so many weak, unprincipled people in public office yeah. in a country that I think is still pretty darn great, it, it, it baffles me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, except that you lift us up. That's right. Your love keeps lifting me higher <laughs> and higher every week. Love you, Glenn. See you next week. Thanks, Glenn. Love you, Steph. Bye. See you guys. Bye. All right, honey. Bye. Bye.